I'm Tony. I'm Adam. And this I'm is Tim. This Yo. is Tim. We got a special guest today. We've got a special guest of only yesterday, a special episode of only yesterday with our special guest, Mr. Tim. So yeah, let's let's uh first disclaimers. Um, this is not therapy, never was therapy. Can't be. Can't be. Um, and also if you want to get help or if you want to use any of our educational materials, you know, talk to a doctor or like a therapist or something. Um, we're not recommending anything. So yeah, let's get right. started. So we're here with Tim. Um, Tim, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. Hi, guys. So I'm Tim Robertson. Um, I'm the social media guy for a family of podcasts called Puzzle in a Thunderstorm. And uh, we deal with religion, politics, uh, awful movies, and uh, Dungeons and Dragons real play podcast, and kind of everything that intersects within these areas. And often that that intersects with uh, how religion deals with uh, mental health care. And I myself have uh, mental health care um, conditions. Um, and I, I deal with that. And only well, in the past five years, I've been really able to deal with that or cope with that. Uh, and so I've kind of come out a little bit and started talking to people about this on podcasts. And so, so here we are, fire away. I'll answer any questions I can. Yeah, you bring up a lot of interesting things. So um, you said that you started out in healthcare. Um, maybe tell us a little bit about like what you were doing. Sure. So when I say healthcare, I wasn't. It wasn't clinical. It was healthcare yeah. finance, and specifically, I worked for a very large Fortune 500 company that provided um, outsourced services to hospitals, the business office. So it's what we called patient financial services. We were concerned basically with all of the financial workings of the hospital, insurance companies, contracts, getting patients paid, Medicare, Medicaid, commercial insurances. So we assisted hospitals in, in that function. So when I say I was in healthcare, that's what I did in healthcare. And uh, my college degree was in um, uh, finance, uh, and, but healthcare administration kind of just became a part of that. And I sold to major hospital systems all across the Western United States. I was a regional vice president of sales, um, really a pretty good job, traveled four or five days a week. Uh, it was a very social job. An yeah. ongoing job where I had to talk to people eight, 10 hours a day, meet with them face to face. And so um, what will what you'll soon find out is when you develop anxiety and some mental disorders, it's very hard to be gregarious and outgoing and want to talk to people on the phone or in person. Uh, and that's that's how I made my living. So that became very challenging. Yeah, that that sounds tough. Um yeah, so I I think that's interesting that you, like you were all the way up there, you know, like on like making these financial decisions and, you know, um, working at these big companies and stuff. Um, so you said you developed anxiety from that. Tell me about that. Well, there was really a lot of, so probably I would say about 2011 or 12, really the stress I noticed myself, I didn't want to go to meetings. I didn't want to deal with people. I didn't want to be a people person. Um, I wanted to, uh, stay home. And this was the opposite of what my job description was going to be. And um, although I looked into uh, therapy and went to some therapy and I had a psychiatrist and I started with some meds and I wasn't really educated on it personally. And I didn't quite understand what was or wasn't helping me. But after about 12 or 18 months of doing that, um, what my job performance really started to slip quite honestly. Yeah. And uh, it, I made the decision at that time that it was better for me to resign my position and make a deal with my company to bow out gracefully than to get fired. I assumed I would go back into healthcare finance and sales one day, and I didn't want to have a, he got fired on my resume. It would be much better to resign my position and deal with a, a leave of absence or a break from the industry. So there was a strategic decision, but I would have been fired in my job. If you didn't perform and produce results and produce contracts, you get fired as simple as that. And I didn't want that. So, so I just couldn't deal with things anymore. I kind of became a hermit. I quit my job. Um, I spent about 18 months living by myself. I started self-medicating with alcohol and pizza and, <laughs> pizza. Um, 
I, I, yeah, my, my self-medication was always getting drunk and eating myself until I fell asleep. That was how I dealt with things. And I did that for about 18 months. And then I ran out of money. And uh, uh, then there was another, there was other problems. And what was I going to do? I couldn't continue to do what I'm doing. So eventually where I am now, and this worked out great. There's a lot more to the story, but I ended up moving home and living with my mother in my childhood bedroom, but I help her out. She's now 82 and has some, some issues. And the job I have now allows me to work from here. And my life has changed a lot, but I look back now and I'm mentally stable now. I'm on a, a good cocktail of medicine and I've gone to a lot of therapy and um, I like my job. I don't make anywhere near the amount of money that I used to make, but um, I like my job. It fits my lifestyle and it doesn't create any stress or anxiety for me. And um, that's the better path for me. That's where we are. Nice. Well, I will say like uh, nothing wrong with getting drunk and eating pizza sometimes, you know, like yeah, for sure. once a week, you know, that's, that's yeah. what I did. So I'm no, just, I was just saying there, but you know, if you're doing yeah. it every night, you know, maybe yeah. if, listeners, come back if, list, if listeners want to know my typical day was to get up by about 10 o'clock in the morning, I would start drinking anywhere from what was going to be my 12 to 18 beers or two bottles of Chardonnay Ooh. by five or six o'clock. I was drunk and ordering Domino's pizza. And by seven or eight o'clock, I would basically pass out in bed. And I did that seven days a week. Uh, obviously, this is not healthy. This is bad. I recognize the behavior was bad, right. but this was this was the only thing that made me escape um, the depression that I had and the feeling that I had. I was never suicidal, at least I, I really, but I had a preoccupation with death. Hmm. Um, but I just had to always escape my feelings. And I just you know, I, I really was in some serious, you know, health crisis, not only mental mental health crisis, but drinking that much and eating that much is not a very healthy way to live your life. So that's how bad I was. Yeah. Right. So if, if glad you don't you're mind, I, go ahead. Yeah. I, I just had a, I got a question about that because our podcast, we do, <clears throat> we're in social sciences as well, you know, so we're discussing mental health. We're discussing, you know, behavior. <clears throat> we're discussing macro, micro impact, things like this. Um, so if you're comfortable or willing, um, what mental issue were you dealing with that was, you know, being exacerbated at work besides the anxiety, right? Because, you know, anxiety is mm -hmm. definitely difficult to manage, but it sounds like it was something that was a bit more than just anxiety and depression. Yeah. So I, so I was diagnosed with chronic depression and ADHD, mm. um, I, the way I could describe it, there wasn't a life event that where I had a breakup or a death in the family or a life altering event that just put me in, in this situation, I just slowly became sadder and sadder and sadder. Um, I have a lot of body issues. Um, um, I'm overweight. I was overweight then, and I didn't like the way I looked and the thing to do about it would have been to eat healthier and exercise and, and do positive things but it was a typical circle for me. The more that I didn't like how I looked, the more I didn't want to deal with that. So the more yeah. I would eat and drink to put it aside. So my issues had a lot to do with self, um, self-respect, um, self-loathing. Uh, and I would just, I would choose to make it worse in the short term rather than invest the time to help myself in the long term. And I would get very overwhelmed if I would think about the fact that Oh, I need to lose 50 pounds. That's incredibly overwhelming to me. I can't, I can't focus on the fact that I could lose one pound this week. I have to think about how am I going to lose 50? And then if I don't lose 50 right away, then it, I get overwhelmed. And that was part of, part of my issues and problems as well. So for me, that that's the best I can describe it to you. The genesis of this probably has a lot to do with when I think things when I was four and five years old and some of my religious background about shame and guilt, shame and guilt plays a big part in, in my yeah. overall story. We have an episode on shame and guilt. Yeah. yeah. I was going back to you guys catalog and, and listening to your, your earlier episodes. I hadn't gotten to that one yet, but it's one of the ones that I marked. It's, it's, uh, it's played a big impact in my life and I never realized it until a therapist helped me understand, um, you know, why I did the things I did, maybe why I made some of the decisions I made and, and how I even still struggle with, uh, with that, especially shame. Mm -hmm. 
I'll tell you, Tim, I'm I'm a therapist. I'm supposed to be trained to like work with shame, but I mean, I deal with it on a daily basis too. Yeah. It's, it's tough. It, 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 it impacted me in a way I didn't even realize that it was a thing for me. So tell me kind of uh, as much as you're willing to open up about it, like your religious background, your religious upbringing. Yeah. So, so um, my family is from West Virginia and they're all Southern Baptists. And my grandfather was a Southern Baptist preacher. So some of my earliest memories are being at Southern Baptist church and it's, it's hail and brimstone and fire and you're going to hell. Uh, You know, it's, it's abstinence based. It's not, accepting it's it's you don't do this you don't drink you don't have sex you don't cuss you don't you don't you don't you don't there's a whole list of things that you don't do and i remember being very young maybe six or seven and hearing these sermons my grand my grandfather was the preacher and being told that if i didn't accept jesus christ into my life i was going to burn in a literal hell and at six o'clock at six years old that's that's scary for a little kid and i I had no reason not to believe that. I'm six years old. Um, that was the start of my religious indoctrination. And all the way through high school, uh, our family, my my immediate family, we went to church twice on Sunday, usually once on Wednesday. And um, I don't know if we, we were devout religious, but we seemed to think that we had to go or we would go to hell. That was that was kind of the gist of it. I wouldn't say we were theologians by any sense of the word, but then there was Tim. I was the skeptical kid. In Sunday school, I was the kid that would raise his hand and ask the questions that the Sunday school teacher couldn't answer. So usually (laughs) about three or four Sundays a month, I would get walked from kid Sunday school into adult Sunday school and sat down with my parents because I was being disruptive for asking (laughs) things such as, how do they put all those animals on the ark? Or um, why do I have different number of ribs than a woman? But but I'm just a kid, you know, asking questions that seemed reasonable to me. And I couldn't understand when I was at school and I asked a question, the teacher encouraged it and answered it and gave me positive feedback for being inquisitive. But in Sunday school, asking questions I soon learned was gets you in trouble. So my religion turned on my skepticism. Things just didn't make sense to me. I, I can't explain why I was a skeptical kid. I think I was just inquisitive. But by the time I was, um, you know, late into high school, I didn't believe any of this stuff. I didn't know what the word atheist was. I didn't know how this was really going to affect my worldview. I just knew this was all kind of silly. And I just left it alone. I didn't realize how the world interacted with religion so much for me, it was just a, well, it's going to be something I'm no longer interested in and don't talk about and don't worry about. And it remained that way from the time I was probably 18 until the time I was probably um, well into my forties. I just ignored religion period. Okay. So Tony, you have a similar background, don't you? Like Baptist. Yeah. My, I was raised as, you know, Christian Baptist, you know, my mom was, from Virginia. Uh, my dad, who I believe, was from Connecticut or like some of the states, one of them states over there. Um, and then after <laughs> being raised that way and then coming to Utah and then, you know, I'm under this Mormon state and I'm like, okay, how is it that both of these worlds, both of these worlds can believe themselves to be correct and right at the same time and everyone is correct or one of y'all going to hell, either my mom going to hell or my neighbors going to hell. And I'm wondering, okay, uh, what's going on? And so then that sparked my interest in other religions, like, you know, either uh, like Hinduism, uh, Satanism. Um, uh, just, I had like a religious crisis, really. And I was like, okay, so how is it that everyone believes that, you know, our way is the right way, your way is the wrong way? And how can we how can you justify, right? How do we, why we're still fighting wars over this shit and we still haven't seen evidence of this, this being or rather we are unable to detect it with our human senses. And that's, that's just the limitation that I'm putting out there because my, I'm particularly agnostic theist. Um, I choose to believe that there's something. I don't know what. I'm pretty sure it's not a person just sitting up there with this super long beard 
or it it could be like just energy it could be an entity or it could be whatever but we won't know how to detect it until we die if we'll be able to detect it at all and if it's nothing then it's fucking nothing and we're out here doing the best we can as humans so um i try to be open about these types of things um because i was literally forced to be yeah that's interesting because like so tim i i'm mormon or i was mormon like i grew up you know going to church every week and i was actually a pretty strong believer for i don't know until i was like 22 or so and then they started kind of getting like i had I, I went on a mission to japan like as a missionary you know those guys that knock on the doors and stuff um and just had some traumatic experiences with mental health, like breakdowns, you know, where I, I grew up leaving and I what I was kind of in a in like a I don't know, like a bubble where there's no other beliefs presented, you know. So I just thought that's how things were. And so I was really close minded. But um, yeah, I think I, I just I got to. So there's like this place called where they train like the missionaries, you know. And so like the first day I got there, I'm like, they're, they're, they're acting kind of, um, it, it, it wasn't what I thought it was. I thought it was going to be this fun summer camp where you sing songs and you, you get together and, you know, and like, it's all fun and happy and you meet like your future spouse. No, it was shitty. Um, it was a really shitty experience. And it, it was like the first night we were there, um, this guy got up and he's like a prominent leader in the church. He still is. And he, he basically like yelled at us that like, if you don't baptize enough people, you're basically like not going to have as happy as life and stuff like that, you know? And so I was like, okay, this, there's something wrong here. This, this must be bullshit. Um, and so I went on my mission and I was the shittiest missionary because I had a problems telling people like, Hey, my way of living is right. And yours is wrong, you know? And so, um, I grappled with that for a long time. And, um, yeah, I think Tony, Tony met me during my faith crisis, you know, like he, he might not remember it, but I was going through some faith crisis, you know, just like, Oh, I remember it, bro. We were at the university of Utah. I remember. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, it, it was bad. Like I was, it was the trauma of, um, so when you're Mormon, like, I don't know how to describe it. Cause like you are told from little kid that if you. Uh, you, you have the potential to live with your family forever. So I'm like, cool. I want to be with my mom forever, you know, but they tell you like, okay, but if you don't choose that, or if you make mistakes and stuff and you don't, you know, come back to Jesus, you, you'll never see your family again. And so I, I grappled with belief for a little bit and like, I was just miserable because I didn't believe. And I, I didn't want to lose like my, relationship with my family in the afterlife if that was going to happen, you know, it was just shitty and I didn't fit in, you know, I didn't like, I just didn't fit in with Mormons. You know, I'm, I'm Brown. I'm Japanese American. They made fun of me for that growing up and um, listeners can go back on our episodes and hear about some of the stuff, but like, there's a lot of racism involved with Mormonism. That's, that's like special racism, like y'all Southern like Baptists and stuff like, you have a history of racism, but like, this is just kind of like a next level. Like imagine somebody, I don't know. It's hard to describe. It's just entrenched. Word. Yeah. yeah. What, one of the things that you mentioned was another one of my little skeptical questions in Sunday school that got me into trouble about being with Jesus and your family, because in Southern Baptist religion, you can be a sinner. And as long as you accept Jesus Christ and say, you're sorry before you die, then everything is just forgiven and you can just go to heaven. So I was a kid and I couldn't understand why I couldn't just do whatever I wanted. And then the last day, if I got sick, I was just going to say, oops, today's, yeah, I'm sorry. I thought I found a loophole and my Sunday school teacher did not find that funny. And again, I got walked out and I got to sit with my mom for adult Sunday school. So yeah. that was. And I can't yeah. imagine that like <laughs> that adult Sunday school is any like more intellectually like better than the one you were in with the kids. No, I was pretty much just told that to, I was in trouble. I just was told to sit there. That's, that's what happened is I was in trouble. <laughs> in trouble. So how did that um, kind of your faith crisis or kind of getting out of that faith, how did that impact your relationships with your family? Well, um, 
I think fortunately, my family has always been instructed that they have to go to church, but they're not theologians. They're not theological. They Their version of reading the Bible is the preacher quoting a few random verses during a, Sunday, a sermon on Sunday. And there's no context. There's no studying of that. There's no uh, real, real literature or educational aspect of how they how they go about their worship. So it's it's easy to not hurt people's feelings and fake. I don't have to talk about it with them. And I don't want to hurt my family, especially my mother's little older, her feelings. Yeah. So I kind of just ignore the topic and just go on about uh, my, my life. Um, with everybody else that's family or friends in my life, besides my immediate family, um, I'm open about who I am. Um, it doesn't come up a lot. It's not like I see an old friend from high school and they go, hey, you know, how many times did you go to church last month? I mean, it's just not a topic that comes up. Uh, we, we talk about sports or we talk about the weather or we talk about just about anything that's that's, that's probably a little bit more on the non-controversial side. Mm-hmm. So my relationship with my family has been one that I've just kind of moved over to the side and uh, it doesn't have to be confrontational or um, accommodating. It can just be, it is, and just kind of leave it at that. Wow. So speaking of not being confrontational, but accommodating, what's it like promoting podcasts? Something that's not confrontational. You're just, you know, just promoting it and you're out here doing it big. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's surprisingly, one of them is called scathing atheist. And surprisingly, we don't get very many, very much hate mail because it's a preaching to the choir podcast. Our fans are already atheists. It's not a debate podcast where we're trying to bring people on the show to argue with them. Mm-hmm. But the idea of promoting podcasts, uh, because my background turned out to be in business-to-business sales, really, in healthcare, I was really a salesperson. You might call it a consultant. But what I was doing, I was selling services to yeah. hospitals. So I was a salesperson. I was a promoter. I was a, I was a, you know, a hype man. And so the idea of doing this with podcasts, you hype things and sell things the same way, whether you're selling widgets or snake oil or healthcare services or podcasts, it's it's pretty much the same formula of what you do. So it kind of came natural to me to promote podcasts. And keep in mind, one of ours is political, has nothing to do with religion. Well, that's not true. Religion <laughs> sometimes has something politics, to do with politics, just right? Unfortunate right. bedfellows right. throughout right. history. Right. So. right. One of them is Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. That one probably mm-hmm. has very little to do with anything, anything religious. But so for me, it's just a matter of promoting uh something that and telling people about it and why it's a good idea to listen to it. And hey, look at this, this is cool. And if you sign up here, this is what you get. I just list the features and benefits. And the way I've always sold my entire life is. I like to say I don't sell things to people. I show people why they should buy something. And promoting podcasts is, is the same for me. And it's just kind of become a natural thing for me to do. I've, I've never really had to think on it very hard. I've kind of just always been able to promote things my entire life. I was one of those people that would be even in my past business life, I would meet somebody who needed a widget and I would happen to know a great place to get widgets, even though there was nothing in that for me. And I would be the one that would put those widget buyers and widget makers together. Uh, I could just promote it, promote it because I enjoy making deals, I guess maybe you could say, mm-hmm. or I enjoy seeing, seeing things work out that way. So that's kind of what it's like promoting podcasts for me. It's a gig economy for me. Um, I set my own hours. I do my own thing. Um, which works well with having any mental health issues. I can literally lay in bed and do my job if I need to on my iPhone. If I'm not feeling great that day, I can just not work. I mm-hmm. could work at nine o'clock on a Saturday night, or I could get up at four o'clock on a Monday morning and decide to upload some videos. So so the the idea of freelancing is a benefit. It helps me accommodate my mental health concerns. It helps me do things. I don't have to be stressed out at my old job. I had deadlines. And if I wasn't feeling good on Thursday and I had a meeting with a CFO of a hospital, too bad. You, <laughs> you know, need to pull you, up. You pull up, you suck it up and you go to that meeting. And it was mentally mm-hmm. exhausting. Now, if I'm not feeling great on a Thursday, 
I just simply upload the video on Friday morning. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> And Dude, that's, that's that. That, that's that would that. be so fucking great. Like as a as as like a gig. I, I wish I could do that. You know. Um, so it tell me, cre- Tim. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say it does. It does make for a a uh, less stressful life, which is a big part of what I what I've come to seek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So tell me, like, your job was really like intense and stressful and shame inducing, right? Um, how did you? Po- kind of how did you pull yourself out of that like that depression that you know the drinking like what did you do it was not easy so uh in 2015 in october of 2015 i'd, I'd run out of money i couldn't live my i also had a kind of a expensive lifestyle because i had a nice job i had a very nice condo i had very nice cars i had very nice things i had very big credit card bills i spent money that i made money so after being unemployed for 18 months and having that lifestyle that you can't just shut down, um, I, I was broke. So um, I decided I was going to move back to Ohio with my family. I thought it was going to be a temporary situation. And I can't explain why I started drinking, but I think I know. I literally, it was October 31st of 2015. And I won't say I stopped drinking. I've drank maybe five times in the past seven years. So I don't I don't think I was an alcoholic. Maybe I was, but I just stopped literally overnight. I just said, I'm not going to drink. But here's how shame and guilt play into that. I moved back into my mom's house. In her mind, drinking's bad. It's evil. It's of the devil. I didn't drink out of respect for her. Again, I was accommodating. So I literally went from drinking a 12-pack a day to not drinking at all. And I didn't miss it. I didn't need it. But I did it because I didn't want to have the confrontation of saying that I needed this. And I can't necessarily explain it. And I don't recommend anyone else try to do it the way I did. But I just stopped drinking. Now, I didn't stop my unhealthy living and my eating habits. I still didn't eat healthy. And I I still did other things to um, mask my pain and my symptoms. And I was in therapy on and off over the past five years. And I tried some medicines and I didn't. And I would get frustrated with the idea that we couldn't get the medicines right. And the reason I'm on this podcast today, only recently have I finally got the right cocktail of medicine and therapy that's made me feel good. And now I wake up and I'm actually, I, I feel like a different person than I did than even three months ago. Wow. And I want to tell my story and I want to do things. So I don't know how I pulled myself out of it other than only I, I'm, I'm, I very much am a believer that the proper medications, it took a long time to get mine mm-hmm. right and the right doctor and the right efforts. Uh, but now they seem to be right and they're tuned in and I hope I stay this way. Uh, so mine was a long journey and it was not always a successful journey. There was a lot more, you know, heading downhill uh, with speed than there was putting the brakes on some of the situations. But I think I'm to the point now where I'm going to be uh, making positive decisions, uh, living a, a more positive life in the sense, a healthier life, both mentally and physically. And I think I'm taking the steps in the right directions with that. So, so that's my story. I, I, again, I wouldn't recommend anyone do it my way, but I am a big believer in therapy and medicine. Awesome. Um, I'm just real quick. I, I'm grateful that we were able to meet at this particular part of your journey and our journey as well. Um, had you not gone through what you went through, unfortunately, had we not went through what we went through, unfortunately, and met where we are, like you said today, like who knows this opportunity may not have ever happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm grateful. I thank you for the opportunity. Um, bro, this, this is, this is incredible. Thank you. Yeah. So with um with the po- with uh, scathing atheists and just the puzzle and thunderstorm network, how did you get involved with them? Yeah, so um, it was a little bit of an accident. So I was a fan of the podcast, just like a lot of other people are, and um, I spent a lot of time on Facebook. And these particular podcasters, uh, they're interactive, and they friended me on Facebook, and so we were friends on Facebook. And as it turned out, one of the podcasters, No Illusions, um, specifically, he and I have a very similar sense of humor. 
And so as I would post things to Facebook, he would comment and it was obvious that we kind of got each other. So I would say we became parasocial friends more than just a typical Facebook friend. I mean, we, you know, we joke with each other a little bit and, um, and that was good. Then I went to a, a conference, an atheist conference called ReasonCon in uh, North Carolina, uh, the last reason time they had, which was 2017. And Noah was there and I met him and we talked and got to be friends. And I was thinking about the time I was in a small uptick with my mental health and I was trying to come out of things. And I was thinking about starting a podcast and Noah was giving me some advice and we were, you know, kind of bonding over that. And um, then I met him one other time when he happened to be in Denver, when I was in Denver. So we became, we became friends. Um, so in late 2017, I guess it was 2017, yeah, um, I was, again, still unemployed, living at home in my childhood bedroom, and I tried some other work-from-home jobs and part-time jobs, but with my, you know, again, not coming out of my mental health funk, I just couldn't couldn't hold down a regular job like a regular person, and so I was going to need to find a way to make a living, and on a lark almost, um, I call up Noah and I said, Hey, would you like someone to promote your podcasts? I know all about your podcasts. I know, you know, I've listened to you guys at that time for five years. I said, what if I kind of just ran your social media accounts and promoted your podcast and helped you grow your listener base? And he said, wow, that's funny. We were just talking about that, that we might want to have somebody do that. So it was just a pure coincidence timing thing that I asked right when they were thinking about setting that up for their business because they were making plans for 2018. So that's the history. We tried it. We said, we'll try it for two weeks. I said, great. We tried it for two weeks and it's now been um, four years and 10 months since I've been doing that for them and hopefully no end in sight. So it was a matter of matching my skill set to their skill set, the right time. Um, and it just, it just kind of worked out. I can't explain to anybody else how to get a job like this. It just kind of happened the way it happened. I was just living my life and, you know, this is one thing that was tried and it worked out. And so here we are. Nice. Wow. That's cool. Like I, I've listened to Scathing Atheists and God Awful Movies for quite a few years now, just because when I was going through my faith crisis back in probably 2018, 2019, um, they were like the only people that I felt safe to like saying stuff that made me feel safe, you know, um, especially being in Utah, you're surrounded by religion and you're surrounded by your family members who are religious. And so, yeah, like their, their work, you know, has like saved my life, you know, uh, at many dark points in my life, you know? So that, that's awesome. I, uh, because I see a lot of the emails and comments that come in even before the hosts do, I, I literally, I cannot count for you. It's, it's in the hundreds of emails and comments I've seen from listeners who said, you saved my life. I was in a dark time. When I had no family, you were my family. Uh, people who were suicidal and said, we got them through dark times. And it's amazing the, the number of people that they've impacted with their show. And it is a very open and safe community. Uh, it's very progressive. It's very friendly for the LGBT, LGBTQ plus community. Uh, people of all races and genders and kinds and sizes and shapes and backgrounds. Um, they really are very accommodating and very understanding, very helpful and very open. And it's a safe place to be. But just like you said, where they've helped you, uh, there's a there's a nice feeling I get by seeing those emails. They're the best emails when somebody said, Hey, last month sucked. I lost my job, but you know, you guys made me laugh today and that's, that's worth it. I mean, that right there is the, that's the bonus I get. Yeah. That's kind of, kind of the impetus for us starting this podcast, like talking about mental health and talking about like normalizing those kind of things, you know? Um, yeah. So a little background, just kind of talk about podcasting for a second. So Tony and I, we are social workers. Um, Tony works with youth. I work as a, a therapist um, for outpatient. So I um, I work with a lot of substance use clients and I work with mental health clients too, but um, we're trying to, to reach more people and trying to 
to get legit, you know? So do you have any like advice for us on how to, you know, we just started and we have the expertise and the knowledge and the background. We just, yeah. So I would say a couple different things. One is a piece of advice that, uh, that Noah gave me when I was thinking about starting a podcast, but it's the way they've grown their podcast and it's figure out the podcast that you want to listen to and then make that podcast. Uh, because that's what you're naturally going to be best at. Uh, it's not the it's not the quality of the microphone. It's not the the length of the podcast. It's it's what you do best that is going to make you stand out versus the other podcast diverse that's out there. And I would say the other thing that kind of falls on my side of the table is be be. The hosts of uh, Puzzle in the Thunderstorm were always very interactive with their fans. And I would say, go out of your way. People like to interact with people that they're having this parasocial relationship with. Uh, I enjoyed it when I would send an email to uh, the scathing atheist and they would write back. And um, I don't know how much thought they put into those responses. They didn't have, but it made me it made me feel part of the podcast. And then I became a fan. I became it became something I wanted to listen to. And I felt I had a little tiny bit of ownership of that podcast and what those guys were saying and what they were doing. And I felt, I felt like they were a little tiny part of a family. So I would say interact with your, uh, with your fans and your listeners. Um, if you can find out what your listeners want to hear and what topics they want to know about, and then do those shows. Um, I think you'll, you'll find that that's a, Again, maybe you won't be bigger than Joe Rogan, but <laughs> but but also maybe if you have, you know, X number of listeners, X number of listeners will send you an email one day and say, hey, man, you guys really did a great job for me. And that's the way I look at it. I think if you can help whatever X is, little X or big X, if you can get some of those emails that say, you know, thank you, then I think your podcast is successful. Well, I could definitely say we're not trying to beat Joe Rogan because uh, <laughs> for obvious reasons here. Yeah, um, yeah one of our I've, I've joked about this. One of our goals is to Tony has a little baby. We're going to we're going to put him through college with this podcast. So, yo, cool. yo, I was actually talking to my mom the other day. Um, here's here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make enough money on this podcast to be able to buy my mom a house. Then I'm selling it contract all that stuff like yo y'all keeping the outro in there i just want a cut of every episode i want my royalties <laughs> y'all do y'all thing that's it I'm hey, just it's, ha I'm a it's happened there are uh, yeah. uh i have some friends who do a podcast called opening arguments mm -hmm. uh and um they've become very successful uh they found their niche and there were other legal podcasts out there but their niche was their niche and uh you know they've both been able to make that their job. That's their lifestyle and full-time job now. And it's, it's supporting respectively supporting their family. So it's, it's not a pipe dream. It's, 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 it's definitely a real opportunity. For sure. Yeah. Our, I think our niche is similar. Like a, we're just normal people, you know, that care about mental health and we're kind of crass and kind of crazy. At least I am. I don't know about Tony. So yo, but, my uh, man, yo, my man, Adam is a normal person, fam. I am fucking abnormal. We are out here, bro. I am original. I'm I am unique, <laughs> bro. You know what I'm saying? Yo, but I feel like our niche is more like social behavior, the social sciences, and kind of like again, the the macro, the micro, the meso, and you know, the the influences, the effects. Sorry, that's that sorry, I didn't mean a cut in butt in, but I mean, you know what I'm saying? You better put some respect on my name. Shoot. That's why I said I. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah for sure. But uh, yeah, I think I, I like what you said there, uh, Tim, about finding your audience and interacting with them. Um, we we definitely could reach more people. Um, we still need to do some stuff to do that. But um, how do you reach more people with your podcasts or help them? So primarily through uh, through social. First of all, let me say the hosts do all the work. They they had a I mean it's just it's just the same way when I was in healthcare, my job is to go in and promote a good product, and so they put out a good and interesting product, and so my first thought, my first step is to is to point the finger and say, hey, look at that, look at what they're doing, 
Um, and I do that basically by finding an interesting thing about about each show. And so when I post to Facebook or I post to Twitter uh, or I comment on something or on, I'm on YouTube, uh, I try not to just do what they did on the show because somebody can listen to the podcast and hear what they did on the show. So I'll try to add my own joke or a separate take or a sarcastic statement or a fuck your face or, or, <laughs> yeah. or, or whatever right. to, to the that news is, articles or yeah. to the podcast so that somebody is getting something different so that they want to come back. So now they want to follow the Twitter. Now they want to be part of the Facebook group. So I try to give people a reason to listen to what, the product already is, and it's already there. Um, I see a lot of people who on their podcasts, they just simply post, hey, here's our episode, and there's a link to it. And, and that's great. That's fine. Makes it convenient for people to get it. But I don't think that particular tweet added anything. It's just a place you can click now where you could have clicked on iTunes anyway, or you could have clicked on Spotify anyway. So what I try to do is introduce it and I may listen to the episode and I may make a joke about um, one of the hosts um, has a controversy over uh, what do you think on this show? What dreams, good or bad? And then, you know, they can listen to the episode. They know someplace in that tweet, the hosts are going to the topic of what dreams is going to come up and, you know, they can they can log in on the poll and say, hey, I like wet dreams or you know, that's the, that's the laziest orgasm there is, or I hate wet dreams, you know, but the point is there's a reason then for them to come back to the Twitter account uh, and, and look at that post from time to time. So I try to add some value to each post and um, whether it works or not, some of them are spectacular fails. I try to learn from my mistakes, but every now and then one of them is funny or one of them gets some traction. So that's all I try to do is I try to add value to the product they've already created. Well, I can tell you that Tony and I are definitely good at um, humor and stuff like that. Like we didn't, we didn't intend like NYU on our, like, like uh, Eli did Eli. For comedy or whatever, but uh, we, we, we're, we're definitely funny people. So. Yeah. yeah. Use that. Definitely use that. I would, you know, leverage yeah, sure. your uh, your sense of humors and you know i asked you before we started if your podcast was clean or uh not safe <laughs> for work because nor and i've been very good today normally um you know i i have lots of fucks and, and things to say and our podcast is full of dick jokes and poop jokes uh and sometimes it's low hang low-hanging fruit so i've tried to be pretty well behaved but uh yeah leverage what you got people people will like that yeah, I will say Tony's kind of got me like he's he's like he's like the Andrew Torres of our he's got me on a leash, you know, and I'm I'm just kind of like the guy that says some out, outlandish stuff and he kind of just reels us back in and just kind of like he keeps the car driving the right way, you know, the keep us on the, the destination. But yeah, to, to so. say outlandish is an understatement. Um, Like <laughs> some of the stuff I'm just like, yo, I literally have to clip the we can't put that in the episode. We just we just can't. I'm just going to have to smooth that over. But I mean, at the same time, you know, we're humans, too. So we want to have fun. We want to, you know, if, if we don't laugh through all this madness, then we're going to end up sad and dead. So you got to do. Yeah, something. we we have we have license or at least I do we have licenses that we have got to like protect, you know, so we got, we have Yo, some, I got to protect my job fam. I got to protect this degree yeah. ability. You know what I'm exactly. saying? Exactly. Like we, we, yeah. Until we make it big, you know, we got to kind of play it safe a little bit, but yeah, we, we definitely, we have some humor. We have some, some jokes. So. Yeah. What's the way to go. Okay. Well, is there anything else you want to say about kind of mental health or. Yeah, I would just say, uh, take your medicine, uh, listen to your doctors, follow the science. It works. Uh, I know from personal experience, it can be very, very frustrating and take some time, but it's worth the investment uh, in order to make yourself better. That's that's how I feel about it. It's, it's kind of worked for me. Maybe I've stumbled along the way, uh, but eventually you can kind of get to where the point where you feel good again. And that's it. That's it. It's all I want to do is feel good. Awesome. Tony, you got anything? Um, yeah. So within the next, let's say within the next five to 10 years, 
uh, where do you see yourself, Mr. Tim? Do you see yourself like, I mean, is this job lucrative enough for you to like get yourself some property or some shit? Or are you just kind of more like the the humble rich person? Like, <laughs> where, where do you see yourself? No. So I, I just turned 58 years old. So I'll re, I'll be retired in five or 10 years um, and drawing social security if it still exists. Okay. And I may still do this part time. Um, I'll never be a rich person at this point in my life. I've I've when I was a young man, I definitely was one of those people that said, hey, I'm going to be a millionaire by 30. Hey, I, it was all about literally how I got into my career was it was all about that. Hey, I'm going to make six figures. And mm-hmm. I. I won't say I don't like money or I wouldn't take money if it were offered to me, but I'm really not seeking that anymore. I'm seeking something different. I'm seeking to be happy. So Mm -hmm. uh, in five to 10 years, I'll be retired. I might still be doing something part-time like this because I enjoy it. Um, It's not hard work. It's, it's, it's my community. Um, I don't have a lot of real life friends. I have a lot of social friends. So I'll probably be doing something along these lines. I just won't be a rich guy. And if you really want my answer where I'd really like to do it, um, back when I had a career, I used to go to Maui once a year on vacation. And I would like to, with Social Security and working part-time, make just enough money to live inland a few blocks, can't live on the beach, probably a few blocks in, walk to the beach every day. And I can do my motherfucking job on my iPhone from Big Beach. That'll be that would be perfect for me is to find a way to do it in Maui and live there. That would be that would make me happy. That's all I want. Sounds well, great. hey, if you're if you're looking for like a neighbor or something, I mean that's kind of that'd be nice, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I, I do know what you're saying. Yep, I do. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I, I I like what you said to him about, you know, you could be rich, but at what cost? You know, like your you know, money's like it's, I'd rather be happy too. And I'm never going to be rich either. Cause I just looked at my paycheck and yeah, I'm a social worker. So there you go. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I like that choosing happiness over like, like those kind of the American dream quote unquote that they tell us it's like that you're supposed to achieve and pursue and all that shit. Yeah. That was a lot of my, uh, my shame and guilt conversation, not only around religion, but around, I grew up thinking that it was, if you weren't successful, it was shameful. And the way that success was defined was how much do you have? What kind of clothes are you wearing? What kind of car are you driving? Where are you living? Uh, that was That was how I thought success was. And if I wasn't doing well in those categories, it was shameful. And so I had to learn to deal with that as well, too. When I decided to quit my job, you know, that people thought that was a weird thing because everybody else thinks that's what success is. Also, people thought I was crazy. They're literally like, you're doing what? You, you, yeah. you know, you're, you know, you're doing what? Uh, <laughs> but um, I think if I would have tried to continue that job and that career, whether it was through drinking and eating and having a heart attack or other means, I might not be alive today. I might not be here. And I'm trying not trying to oversell that, but I really think I was on a path that my life would have um, in some way been very worse, very much worse or not existent by this time. I couldn't have gone seven more years on the path that I was on. I would have, you know, mm. I don't, I'm not saying that suicide would have been an option, but I probably would have given myself a heart attack or liver cancer or something so right and real quick you mentioned you mentioned earlier i'm sorry i don't i don't mean to like derail but sure. you mentioned up top when we were discussing you know some of the things that you were going through you mentioned you weren't necessarily suicidal you never had you know much suicidal ideation um and it reminded me of my father uh he like he was not the best person he fucked up a lot and i'm just gonna like just to be blunt just to be frank he fucked up a lot um however I know that because of what he was going through, he was crazy depressed and you can't tell me he wasn't suicidal, but it was really the, the ability to say, you know what, I'm just not going to take care of myself anymore. You know, I'm not going to kill myself, but yeah. I just don't care what comes in my body. I mean, fucking whatever happens, happens type of deal. Um, and 
that I feel is almost as it, it's equally as dangerous, right? Because it's like you're you're slowly committing suicide over time, not you know just the big act at once. Absolutely, I I thought in retrospect, I look back at that and it, I was a it was a slow motion suicide. Mm. Um, you you definitely could look at it that way. And I have um, one very good friend from from back in the day, from back in college, uh, who basically drank himself to death. He just didn't care anymore what happened to him. And uh, he just got to the point that he just just drank himself until he got liver disease and uh, and died in his 30s. Wow. Yeah. And we um, so I, I work with a lot of suicidal people um, on a daily basis, and we call that passive suicidal ideation. So you don't actually want to, like, be the one to end your life or anything, but you wouldn't mind if something happened kind of feeling. Yeah, that was, that was describes a lot of the way that I, that I felt. I thought, I don't think this is very healthy. I used to think about death every single day, more than once a day, um, not doing it, but I would think about what my funeral would be like, or what would happen if, and I thought about that a lot. Uh, And I didn't do it on purpose. It would just be a thought that would come into my head frequently. And um, not so much anymore. I really, I really give that very much thought anymore. I think that's a good thing. Good stuff. That, that's great. I'm, I'm glad that you found something to help you, you know, pull yourself out of that dark place that you were in. Yo, so I want to thank my man's Mr. Tim for coming out, pulling up, showing out, saying stuff. Um, if you or anyone you know are struggling with issues relating to Walking away from a six-figure job, depression, anxiety, um, any of the number of issues that we touched on during this episode, please reach out. Please seek help. Please be there for one another. This world is wild. This world is crazy. But we, we're fucking trying. You know, like, we, we got to do something out here. Doesn't matter what. We got to do something. I'll say amen to that. Good word. Two votes. Two, Two votes. votes. <laughs> Perfect. All right, fantastic. Okay, well, Tim, thanks for joining us today. It was very nice to meet you guys. I appreciate nice to meet the time. you too. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming out. Appreciate you. Okay. Absolutely. I'll uh, I'll promote the uh, the episode. You let me know when it comes out, and we'll make sure we get out a, a message on the uh, Piat family of podcasts uh, that I'm going to be on, and people can I'm subscribe sure people and uh, listen to you guys. Bless yeah, absolutely. Oh, thank you, sir. I'll, I'll I'll make a dick joke and put your podcast oh, out there. <laughs> please, please it. make a dick joke. We right. love them dick sure. jokes. Don't come for me. No, but this is actually fun. It's informative because I've already learned a couple of things that I didn't know or things that I hadn't thought about.